Well, good morning. Welcome, welcome. So glad you are here this morning. And for those of you online with us, we are glad you're joining us as well. We started a new series last week, Sex in a Broken World, really trying to look and, and give us a good biblical view of sex. Because for so long, as we said last week in our churches, like my friend Tammy told me when I was in youth ministry, the, the message she got was, sex is dirty, rotten, and horrible. Save it for the person you love. And really trying to give us a better view, a more biblical view of sex. And you look around our world and you ask, well, how has it gotten to the point that it has? And just kind of to look back real quickly at last week, when we talk about sex, God created it, sin distorted it. That the problem with our world and where we are right now as a culture, when you open the newspaper and you look online and you check your email or text messages, that God created it, sin distorted it. And through this series, there are three fundamental assumptions that we're walking into this series with. God is for you. God loves you. God is pursuing you. He passionately loves you. And while the thief, while Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy, God came that you would have life and have it to the fullest. Secondly, that God is a good father. And like good fathers, he puts parameters around the life of his children, not to make their life miserable and horrible, but to protect them because he loves and cares about them. And then third, as much as culture wants to distort it, the purpose of sex is good. Right? And the purpose is really threefold, as we talked about last week. First is procreation, which is almost this negative side effect in our culture. It's something that could happen, and you should be really careful so that it doesn't happen. And if it does happen, there are ways that you can handle it so that you don't have to deal with that negative side effect. Second is a connection, that you make this deeply intimate connection with another person. And then finally, third is pleasure. But this purpose of sex has a context, a way God intended it to happen in our world and in your life for between one man, one woman for life. And we know that in a room this big, this is not always the case. It hasn't always gone according to plan. But God still gives us those parameters for purpose. Now, now listen, if, if you fall in that category that, man, my life hasn't worked out like this. God still loves you. God still cares about you. He still is passionately pursuing you and wants the very best for you. Right? That's where those three fundamental assumptions are so incredibly important. And so I want to look this morning real quickly at a story of what happens when we step outside of that purpose. Because we know from what we see in our culture that it's on every newspaper headline. Pulled up again today. I said last week I pulled something up on my, inter on my, my tablet and it popped up with a story that's about sex, and same thing this morning. Open it up, and here's another story of teachers and abuse, and man, when, when does it stop? 
what happens when we take it outside of the context that God planned. We're going to talk about a, a guy named King David. But I want to tell you just real briefly a little bit of the backstory of how he gets to this place. Because in seeing how he gets to where he is, I want you to see a shift that happens in his life. And I think not just a shift in his life, but a shift in his heart. And the reason I want you to see that shift is because it's something that happens so easily to you and I as well. So the nation of Israel is asking God for a king, and God gives them a king, even though he says this is not the best idea, we shouldn't do this. He gives them a king, it's Saul, and Saul fails miserably as a king. At first things go well, but as he continues to, to rule and reign, his life kind of leads him astray. And so God says, I'm going to put this new king in place, and he anoints a guy named David, a little shepherd boy. And he says, this is going to be the future king because I've sought someone after my own heart. And David, it seems, loves God. He is pursuing God. He wants his life to be in line with what God is doing in the world. And not just in the world, but through him. And so David, this little shepherd boy, steps up and he basically volunteers to go fight a giant. And he kills Goliath, and the nation rejoices, and they really start to celebrate David as this mighty warrior with these chants that Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And David is pursuing God, it seems, with all he has. And Saul becomes jealous and starts chasing after David. And David is running for his life, and he runs into this cave, hiding for his life, and Saul goes into this cave to go to the bathroom. And as he's there in the back of this cave with David's men surrounding him, no one else would know besides David and his men, he has the chance to kill Saul. And all of his men gather around him. And they say, this is the day that God spoke of when he said he would deliver your enemy into his hands. This is what God has wanted, that you could kill him right here. This is God working and delivering him for you. And David is just about ready to kill Saul. And suddenly it hits him. This is not the way that God wants me to become king. And he doesn't go through with it. I think David has this belief that if God really wants him to be king, God will get him there. If God wants him to be king, he will provide the pathway. David does not have to step outside of his parameters and his boundaries to become king. And so faithfully, he continues to pursue God. And God does get him to the throne. And David, I think, continues to pursue God. Not just for his good, but for the good of an entire nation. And Israel experiences this peace and prosperity like at no other time, probably in the history before or since, where this nation is thriving and doing so well because David was passionately following God 
with his life. And because he was following God so passionately, it became a blessing to everyone who was around him. And so it's kind of with that backstory, I want you to see this shift that happens. We're going to start in 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring, at time, the time when kings go off to war. So this very, very first phrase, in the springtime, when kings go off to war. In the spring, when kings go off to war, where should David be as a king? He should be with his troops. He should be off at battle. Right? But David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. At the time when kings go off to war, when David should be off with his men fighting this battle, he's not where he is supposed to be. He's not doing what he should be. He's in Jerusalem, living in luxury, while his men are off fighting battle. While they're off in this battle, trying to make it, David is hunkered down in Jerusalem. And the reason I say I want you to see a shift is because the first part of David's life, he is passionately pursuing God. Even when it seems like this is the opportunity and I can step outside of God's boundaries and God's going to bless this, he refuses to do it. He commits his life to staying in his lane and being the person God has called him to be. But as things continue to go well, and he continues to see blessing and prosperity, he becomes very complacent. And not just a complacent life, I would say a complacent heart, where his greatest concern is no longer doing what God wants him to do and being where he is supposed to be. It's now about what he wants to do. It's about pursuing his pleasure, really pursuing himself. And for most of us, I think we can probably relate to David. We can probably relate to David where our heart, our life becomes complacent over has anyone ever tried to, to go on a diet? Just show of hands. Anyone besides me? Okay, that's like half to 99% of you. Now, have you ever tried to go on a diet and you started off really, really well? Where you ate well a couple days, three, four, five days. And then someone makes a suggestion, let's go to Texas Roadhouse. And you say, yeah, that's great. I, I have willpower and I have strength and everything's great. And you go in with this mentality, like you, before you walk in the door, it's like, man, I'm going to get a grilled chicken salad. 
and I'm not going to touch the rolls, and everything's going to be good. And so you go in, and you're, you're ready, and you think, okay, here's the rolls, and they put them down in front of you with the person, the person you're eating with. Not that this has happened to me before, someone else. But they set them down in front of you at the table, and you think, well, I'm going to be really strong. And they get the cinnamon butter, and they start putting it on the, the rolls. And you're sitting there thinking, I'm going to be strong. I'm not going to give in. Well, maybe, maybe I'll have just one basket. before my meal, and then another with my meal. Just me? Anyone else? No? Okay. All right, a couple people. Yeah, we've got some hands. Thank you. Thanks for being honest. But, but here's the thing, okay? Like, you, you need to eat to survive. But does it need to be roadhouse rolls to survive? Because the truth of it is, as amazing as they taste, they're probably not the best thing for you to eat. I am going to Roadhouse after this, and I will be eating rolls and starting a diet on Monday. But isn't it amazing that something that is so good could be so bad? Something that was intended to be food could be something that really hurts you over the course of time. David has this shift in his heart. And this shift in his heart is going to lead to a bigger problem that comes down the road. In Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 20, he went on, and what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly, we could probably say gluttony. All these evil all these evils come from inside a person, and they defile. It's not just simply what happens on the outside that's the problem. That's not the root of the problem. The root of the problem is the heart. And it's what the heart is pursuing and what the heart is intent on. And so going back to, to 2 Samuel, verse 2, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of his palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness, and then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. 
David is warned. Because you don't tell a king what to do. But the messenger comes back and says, she is Bathsheba. She is Uriah's wife. To, To David, isn't she married? Isn't she off limits? Doesn't that mean you should have nothing to do with a relationship with her? But David ignores the warnings. And he has Bathsheba come to him. And he sleeps with her. And she's pregnant. And it's, it's so funny the way we talk about this in our culture and our society. Because so many times I'll hear this story talked about and the problem, the blame is put on Bathsheba. Well, if, if she wouldn't... This is David's sin. Maybe she was willing for it, but at the same time, maybe she was not. As I said, you don't tell a king what to do. A king has power and authority, and he, I think, uses his power and authority to take advantage of someone who does not have power and authority. And he sleeps with Bathsheba, and she becomes pregnant. See, here's the problem with with the misconceptions that we carry when we talk about sexual sin. I I think specifically when we talk about pornography, well, it's it's my deal, it only affects me. It's my problem. Let's ask Bathsheba about that. Let's ask Bathsheba if this sin of David only affected him. Because the way the story goes from there is David finds out that she's pregnant. And he devises a plan to cover up what he has done. And he has her husband brought in from battle and tries to trick him to sleep with Bathsheba so that he would assume that it was her or him that got her pregnant. But he refuses to go in and sleep with her because all of the men are off fighting battle and he shouldn't be living in luxury while they're fighting. And so then he devises another plan and he writes a letter and he sends it with Uriah back to battle that basically says, I want you to put me on the front line and have me killed. David devises a plan to have Uriah murdered to cover up his plan, to to cover up his sin cover up his problem. Let's just ask that question. Is it, is it his deal and it only affects him? Bathsheba, who now has a child, does it only affect David? Uriah, who, who is dead, and Bathsheba, who is now without a husband, does it only affect you? Are you, are you sure it only affects you? Are you really sure about that? Because the nation of Israel is now going to suffer going forward and experience pain and hardship because of what David's sin has done and where it's going to take the rest of the nation that he leads. 
are you sure it's just your deal? And it only affects you. When we talk about pornography, are you sure it's your deal and it only affects you? When there's an entire industry in our world of sex slavery, are you sure it only affects you when there's a spouse at home and your relationship is broken down because of the relationship you have with someone else online? Are you sure it just affects you? Let's ask David. Like, looking back, did, was that just your deal? Let's ask Bathsheba. Was it just his deal? Was it, you know, no big deal? It was him. It was something that he struggled with. We don't need to worry about it. Or is it bigger than that? See, and here's the thing. What, what keeps that inside, what keeps it a secret is this fear and shame. That we don't want to be exposed and we don't want people to see what we deal with and what we struggle with. And I would say there is no other sin in our world that we struggle with as much telling people about. A sexual sin. And I think because of the fear and the shame that comes with it, we don't want people to know where we are. We don't want people to know what we struggle with. And I think the reason that David goes to the lengths that he does is because he is terrified of the consequences of confession. And until we fear, and we said this a few weeks back, until we fear the consequences of concealment, more than we fear the consequences of confession, change will continue to elude us. Until we're more worried about what will happen to us if I don't share than we are if I do share. Change will never happen in our life. And here's my, my question, okay? David, go all the way back to the beginning, standing on the rooftop. Do you think David was standing there, pacing around on his roof? You know, I've been thinking about killing someone lately. And I've just been looking for the perfect opportunity to do that. My guess is that question never entered his mind. Wasn't even something he would consider. But his sin led him down a path where he would do anything to conceal it and refused confess it. And I know you, you think that, that question is absolutely absurd. There, what's the, the point of it? Do you think the teenager who's 13 and struggling with pornography is thinking, you know, somewhere down the road, 
this is going to dramatically affect my marriage. Do you think the, the co-worker who's in the office innocently, innocently flirting with another co-worker could, could possibly think ahead and say, you know what, as great as this little game is, there's no telling where this could go down the road and how it could just rip apart our family. Or, or someone who just thinks it's not that big of a deal, who continually goes down that road and continually refuses to deal with it, finds himself in a prison cell because of the choices that they made. See, we never in the moment, we never think about, here's where this could lead. And I think God says, hey, here's how I want this to happen. Here's how I want sex to look in your life. And if you will trust me and you will make sure sex works within this context, then you're going to avoid so much pain and so much heartache that's going to come down the road. Because so many of the times when we talk about God's judgment, it is the natural consequences that flow out of our actions. God says, here's how I want sex to happen. I want it to happen between a man and a wife in marriage, and I don't want it. And what happens when we step outside that context? What happens when we step outside like David did? Is we see the pain and the brokenness that it caused. I mean, do you, do you think David would love to have a remote control with rewind on it? J just to go back to the palace roof, to, to see Bathsheba and say, you know what, I need to do something else. And I just, I wonder, like, where, where is the roof of your palace? Where, where is the place in your life right now where you find you're tempted? And maybe it's not with sexual sin. But my guess is there are rooftops that all of us stand on. And in a distance, we see the temptation that we face. And the question is, will you ignore it or will you embrace it? Will you fight back? Will you see it as a lie from the father of lies? From the thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy and say, no, no, there, there's a better way to live. Because God wants me to experience this beautiful, abundant life. See, here's the thing. I don't think there is another act that affects us as great emotionally, spiritually, or physically as does sex. And not only affect us, but those around us and the relationships that we have. In a world where so many people are hurt by our decisions. And I ask you, where, where is that rooftop for you? Where, where are the places that you face that temptation? Because Jesus goes and he talks about what do you do when you face that sexual temptation? Look, Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, to stumble, grow it, gou excuse me, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. 
This is the question, well, does Jesus mean that literally? Let's think about it just logically. If David gouges out his eye and throws it away, can he still lust after Bathsheba with one eye? Or if he cuts off a hand, can he still have the servant go get Bathsheba and bring her to him? And can he still sleep with her? Absolutely. But what Jesus is saying, if there is something in your life that is leading you down that path, do everything within your power to get rid of it. Do everything that you can to get it out of your life. Because God, as we said, God is for you and he is a good father. And he has placed this, these parameters in our life for a purpose. And his point is simply take drastic measures to avoid the temptation. Because here, here's the question I have with this story. Do you think this is David's first time to do something like this? Or is this merely the one we know about? Because this is when he got caught. Because frankly, that's how it works so many times in our world. Well, this is just the first time. Well, no, it's the time that you got caught. It's the time that you happen to not cover your tracks. Or your husband or your wife found out about. I don't know if it was the first time or not. What I do know is I imagine David would have done so many things if he could have gone back and changed that one decision that would impact the rest of his life and Uriah's wife, life, and Bathsheba's life, and the nation of Israel's life. Imagine he would have done anything. I heard a story of you, and I shared this, I know, one other time before, so if you've heard it, it I just I think it makes such an incredibly important point. Back in the 90s, they kept hearing in hospitals of a rise in rattlesnake bites in West Texas. And the doctors were not really sure why this sudden rise. At the same time, the feral hog population in West Texas was increasing. And if you can imagine the very favorite meal of a hog is a rattlesnake. And so over time, these rattlesnakes developed the ability and just learned that if you rattle, it attracts hogs. And so they kept hearing numerous stories of rattlesnake bites where people were bitten, but there was no noise. There was no rattle warning them of the danger that lurked ahead until it was too late. So many times when we talk about sin, 
in our life. It doesn't make a lot of noise until it's too late. Until it bites us. Until we have a problem and we're in too deep and we don't know how to get out. David was probably the most spiritual man in the Bible and sexual sin got him. Samson was the strongest man in the Bible and sexual sin got him. Solomon was the wisest man in the Bible and sexual sin got him. I don't care how spiritual you are, how strong you are, or how wise you are. If you let your guard down, sexual sin will get you. And I don't want to leave this place today without giving you a little bit of hope. Because statistically, about two-thirds of our auditorium are struggling with sexual sin in some form or fashion. And that's not outside of our churches. That's inside of our churches. Statistics would say about two-thirds of our church is struggling with pornography addiction, sex outside of marriage, affairs. And as I said, this is one of those things we don't like people to know about. But I could show you person after person, story after story, of people who have lived, who have gone through divorce, who have gone through addiction and pain, who would love the opportunity to go back and talk to themselves at 12 years old or 15 years old or 20 years old and say, hey, I know right now it doesn't seem like a big deal. But if you continue down this road, it will rip you apart relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and it will wreak havoc on your relationships, some of your relationships that you aren't even in yet. There's a lot of people in this room that would love to go back and have that conversation with themselves. Now, the, the beauty of this story is God sends this prophet named Nathan to confront David. And David has this point where he breaks down and just says, God, I need your help to restore me. I need your forgiveness. I need your strength. I need you to create in me a new heart because my heart has lost its way. And I need help. And David is redeemed and David is restored. I, I believe all of that. But all of that need could have been avoided years before it happened with one decision. So I want to say, if you're here 
and you are struggling right now. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's just dabbling in pornography. You think, oh, it's not a big deal. I can quit at any time. You're on the brink of an affair. Or you've had that. I want to ask you to do something very scary today. There's an email address on the screen right behind me. That's not an email address. It says help at shilohroad.com. The only one who will ever see or know about that email is me. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to email and just simply say, I need help. Because I know if we say we, we're going to have an invitation, there's not many people who are going to say, hey, I, I have a problem, I need help. But I want to give you a way to reach out right now. And, and not right now, but throughout the week. And just simply say, I need help. I need help, I'm struggling. And I also want another group to reach out. If you have been through a pornography addiction and you're recovering, if you've been through an affair, if, if you've been through that struggle, I want you to also email me and say, I will help. And it would be very helpful in both cases if you could tell me just a little bit about your story. And what I want to do is I want to use the church to do what it's supposed to do. Be there for one another and carry each other's burdens and walk alongside people. I do not want you to email me if this has not been a struggle for you and say, hey, I'll help. I, I do not want. I want someone who's been in your shoes, who's been there and come out on the other side. As painful as it's been, as hard as it's been, but just to say, I'll walk alongside someone. And very discreetly, I want to get you connected with one other person who can walk alongside you and who can help you. And I know for some of you, for, for all of you probably, if you're there right now, sending that email might be the most terrifying decision of your life. Because there is no telling what the consequences of that email could lead to. But, but listen, until we fear the consequences of concealment more than we fear the consequences of confession, change will continue to elude us. So I want to ask you to have the courage to reach out and ask for help. And allow the church to be a place that helps one another and carries each other's burdens. Father, today, I pray for those who are struggling right now. Those who feel like there's no way out. Those who feel like they've gone too far and they don't know how in the world they get back. Pray for marriages that the long-term effect would be that it strengthens this marriage. 
But Father, we know that with it comes pain and comes hardship. Father, we believe you are the God who can do more than we can ask or imagine. So Father, right now we ask with your great mercy and love that your spirit would convict and your spirit would comfort and your spirit would do what our meager, feeble words cannot. Father, please, may your spirit be present in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.